exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down I'm C.J. Layton coming to you from inside the Phantom Radio Studios in Lake Wales, Florida home of the premier radio bowling talk show. Long ago, Bowler's Journal International called Phantom Radio a pioneer in the field of bowling podcasts because the show was regularly scheduled at the same time each week. The late Kegel owner, the great John Davis, told Len Nicholson to start this program because, quote, people need to know what you know, end quote. This PBA and bowling writer Hall of Famer has now recorded over 1,200 shows and has featured over 425 guests since 2002. 20 years plus of bowling knowledge, story sharing, and true expertise. Phantom, we need to know what you know. So Phantom fans, here's your host, Len Nicholson, the Phantom. Well, thank you, CJ. And a reminder that Phantom Radio is presented by the Kegel Company. Well, Phantom fans, this week's guest is now in his 60th year in the bowling game and has done it all, including being a top scratch bowler in his time, and then a serious injury shortened his career, but then he turned to coaching, and he taught at the first two super schools and is a mainstay in the Bowler's Journal Top 100 Coaches yearly poll. He's an accomplished bowling writer, recipient of the prestigious John Davis Award. He runs a very busy pro shop, and he's known by his peers as the guru. So here's my friend, guru Gary Parsons. Hello, Gary, and welcome back to the show. Good evening, Lenny. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fine. I've been looking forward to this show again with you. And, you know, I talked to a couple of people that you don't even really realize that you know them. But I was getting some research on you, even though I knew you now for about 40 years. I always want to find out more. And I've called up a couple of guys that are in the pro shop business, and they both knew you like like you were their best friends. So <laughs> I don't want to take up the whole time talking about you because I know that you know a lot about this week's guest that we're going to pay tribute to. And we're going to pay tribute to one of the giants in the history of our great sport. So, Guru, if you will, please tell us where and how you got to know the great Bill Bunetta, okay? You got it, Lenny. Thank you. First, let me, let's start where uh, he was actually forgotten about and around 2005, I was watching a rerun of a championship bowling series on YouTube, and Bill Bonetta was the commentary with Fred Wolf on that show in the late 50s and early 60s. And I wondered what happened to Bill Bonetta. Uh, he was considered one of the great coaches in the 1950s and 60s. Uh, he was a superior bowler, and but he kind of disappeared. And so I started questioning and found out that he was in Fresno, California, where he retired, but the bowling world had forgotten about him. And through some luck, 
I found out that the Fresno AAA baseball team honored him with um, a Bill Bonetta Day, and I reported that to you. From that, we actually had uh, a three-week three interview with him. Um, this was a number of years ago before he passed away. I thought that was just fantastic for what you did for him uh, in that. But he was uh, he was forgotten about, and I'm glad that um, from that in the interviews we got two articles from in the Bowles Journal. I got I was instrumental in naming an award uh, with Ipsium, uh, the Bill Bonetto Award for innovators in bowling. Mo Pinnell and um, uh, Bill Taylor were the first recipients. That's the background, and uh, I'm glad we did that. You and I did that for him and regurgitated his, uh, or reinvented him in historical context. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let me say this before you get going too far, because you mentioned championship bowling, and I was watching championship bowling back in those days, and I got to know very well a good friend of mine that ended up working together with him, Sam Baca, because on those shows, uh, Sam was a statistician, and he learned as much as he could. He kept bugging people. T tell me this. Tell me that. And he went to Bill, and Bill said, well, you seem to want to know things. He said, so learn all you can about coaching, because when you stop striking, you're going to need to have something to fall back on. So Sam picked his brain and everybody else that he could find along the way, and he said he learned a whole lot from Bill Bionetta. And I was called in the other day to ask about you. He goes, oh, yeah, say hello to the guru for me. So there's another guy that you probably haven't seen in a long time, but he speaks highly of you, Fard. So I just wanted to get that in there before I forgot. Well, thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. Bill was, uh, was, was born in 1919. He died in 2011. And he was, uh, I could divide his kind of career on three, three or four stages. First of all, he was a um, very high-level scratch player. Uh, he had um, 300, something like 300, 300 games, or 150, 300 games. Twelve were sanctioned, and the, the rest were in pot games. And he grew up in an era. He grew up in an era of team bowling and action, uh, where you and I started out in that era as well, back in the 50s and pre-PBA, pre-PBA um, uh, era. He was known to he was known to be a great, great team player as well. But um, he, he accomplished quite a bit. Um, he won a PBA tournament in his 40s. He won um, a doubles, ABC doubles title in his 40s. And uh, he shot a number of 800s. He shot, uh, like I said, approximately 150, 300 games, um, approximately 140 of them in action. He was just a considered a first-rate player. As a team player, though, is where he excelled. He was a member of the Fifer team of Detroit, the Monkson Ware team of Chicago, Falstaff team, Fresno Bombers of the National Bowling League, and he was considered a great teacher for them and a great uh, student of the game. He was one of the first theoreticians of bowling, and he was helping the top-notch pros back in the 50s and 60s on their game. And I know Harmon Salvino speaks very, spoke very highly of him, Dick Ricker, Dick Weber. They spoke very highly of him. In fact, Dick Weber, Dick Ricker ended up being his student, and they were on the AMF staff of champions. When the AMF center was open, AMF would send them and um, do a week-long seminars on teaching the locals on how to bowl 10 pins. 
And from that, uh, Richter learned how to teach, and he became one of the great instructors uh, in the history of bowling as well. He was a yes, and he was a fantastic human being as well. So these guys all praised Benetta. And this is where, when I when I first saw him on championship bowling back in the fifties, I had a strong affinities for him because he spoke articulately. He spoke in a sense of first-rate um, level of bowling. Uh, it wasn't in any way sloppy thinking. He was thinking that he's, you could tell that he studied the game as a real student of the game. Uh, one of the things he's noted for is coming up with a spare system, the 369 method, making of spares, which was fun- very functional back in the lacquer wood era. Um, maybe not so much now with all the oil in the middle of the lanes, but he came up with that uh, that system. And uh, he was very, he got to be very famous for, for that as well. But he, like I said, he was a first-rate student of the game, uh, an advanced theoretician for his time. Uh, he was a great coach and, a, and um, a great team captain of that. And um, he went on to be he went on to be one of the uh, the great instructors of our time or the, his time. And then toward the end of his career, uh, he got to be known as uh, a first-rate commentary commentator for um, championship bowling. And um, I used to sit down and just listen to him, and he would explain the game extremely well. And Fred Wolf used to um, Fred Wolf used to leave some time for him at the end of the many times in championship bowling, and he would allow uh, Bill to give uh, tips and a lesson at the end of the uh, at the end of the show. He was a great player. He was a great teacher. He was a great commentator. I would have liked to have seen him and Waylo been on the same show in the early 60s um, with Chris Schenkel, that would have been quite interesting, I think. Oh, boy. I'll say, you know, I'd like to interject one more thing before you get rolling any further uh, as you're going through his career. But, uh, you know, in the early 1980s, I became the tournament director in the Western region. And Bill was, you know, the past his career. But he'd come in and he'd bowl every other week against the regional players in the Western region. And there'd be a practice session on Friday, and it usually go between one and two o'clock, something like that. And a lot of guys worked in the regionals, so the practice session, like I said, was about between one and two usually. And Bill would come in at nine o'clock in the morning with his wife, and he'd say, I need a lane. I said, Bill, you know, your practice session is until one. He says, well, I want to get down there and talk to the people. Well, he would go down, and even though there wasn't a whole lot of people there at 9 o'clock in the morning, he would go down and walk around and being the pro that he was, introduce himself and say, you know, if you're having a problem with your game, I'm going to be here for a while. I'd be glad to help you. And then he would stay down in the settee with the local bowlers. Sometimes they were seniors, 70, 80 years old, and he'd be down there showing them how to make a spare, 10-pin or what have you. And then when his practice session would come, he would put on his regular PBA shirt, practice for an hour, and then stay again out there until about 6 o'clock when the pro-ams were over. And he, I said, Bill, why do you do this? He says, we got to give something back. And I'll tell you what, what a pro he was. Well, he, I mean, that was just, that was just hard. I think, um, uh, I mean, that was just, that's what he was meant to do, I think. And uh, all his, his career as bowling was meant to be, 
It was a build-up for him to teach. Uh, Dick Rickard told me the same thing. Um, Rickard, believe, Rickard told me once that he believed that God allowed him to become a great bowler so he could teach bowling after his bowling career was over with, that he would have the name recognition and the foundation laid so he could go all over the world and teach bowling. And maybe Bonetta had the um, the same psychological mindset. Of course, he was Rickard's teacher, so maybe they shared that in common with each other. That award, I don't know who named the, the Lighthouse Award, but that was certainly an award that was definitely, you know, delegated to be with a fellow like Bill, because you're right, he went all around the world, and all he taught was, taught was fundamentals and professionalism. I never saw him with a dirty fingernail or a wrinkled pair of sh uh, shorts or, or long pants. He, he'd have his name on his shirt, haircut, beautiful, always clean-shaven, and he would hang around with the proprietors, and boy, they were just happy as heck to have a celebrity like him. And he, he didn't have an ego about him other than the fact that he knew he was a great coach because everybody told him that. He was, uh, he was amazing. Yes, he was. I mean, I, I mean, it was just part of his nature. And for men, uh, he, continued to, he continued to um, coach, and, he, and he, he loved to bowl. He said, bowling's all I need. I mean, he set a record. I think he was like um, 75 years old, and he had the first – Oldest person to shoot back-to-back three -back hundreds. Um, he was he was had a great interest in the game from the standpoint of participating in the competitive aspect. But he also took it a level higher. He took it uh, conceptually. He understood the game of bowling uh, on a much higher level than most people did. Don Carter once told him he talked about his interest in bowling and learning. And Don Carter once told him that uh, if he had ever settled down on one style. He'd be one of the great bowlers of all time, and uh, but but I would I go learn different styles of bowling so he could learn the game, so he could teach the game better. But uh, Carter had great high respect, uh, had high respect for him. Weber had high respect for him. Salvino had a high respect for him, and um, Ricker obviously had a high respect for him. So when you get those great people um, giving their highest kudos to him, you got to respect the man for what he's done, and I, that's why. That's why I helped Ipsius form the Bill Bonetto Lighthouse Award for people who have made contributions to bowling. Yeah, that, that was just well far and above that anybody could possibly do for somebody because you're right, he was forgotten. And it reminds me of the time that I got a hold of Bill Lillard uh, after Dick Weber passed away. I wanted to talk to the guys that knew Dick. They all told me the same thing. He won't talk about himself. He'll just talk about somebody else. He'll deflect whatever you say about him. And sure enough, he talked about everybody but himself when he was on the show. That makes me think about you again, Pards, because you are known and respected by everybody. We've said this before, but I want you to repeat it because a lot of people don't hear every show. How did you get the name Guru? <laughs> well, we can blame Joey Fagelmana, who is in Las Vegas now. Uh, but he had uh, Sports Plus Carmen Don, which at the time was the largest pro shop in the country. He was managing and owner of that shop. I went in, in one night and uh, gave a spontaneous 45-minute presentation on bowling 
Um, the relative, I think the topic was a relatively of a, relativity of averages and scoring, what that meant. There was no real objective value in a number per se without the historical context. That number was bold in and the environment that bold, score was bold in. And I, I guess I spoke about 45 minutes, and then Jerry suddenly announced, well, I have my guru of the, of the north now. <laughs> and, I go, and I said, okay, well, who's your guru of the South? He said, Mo Pinnell. And then when Jerry got in the local Hall of Fame, Mo gave, us, Mo gave the introduction to him, and Mo first thing out of Mo's mouth was, Mr. Parsons, I am not relinquishing any territory for this guruship. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, uh, that's how Mo and I got together, and we eventually uh, we taught the advanced cl- pro shop classes for Ipsium, advanced certification classes and he and I um, had a great relationship uh, because Jerry um, because Jerry did what he did and Jerry's a great a great ambassador for the bowling as well you couldn't ask for a better ambassador than Jerry Frankabano well that's for sure I, I stay in touch with him now and then and you know there's a group there it's I kind of like to think it's like Bill Walsh the coach of the 49ers you know he's got a tree of guys that he has taught how to coach and they're all around the NFL, and, and there's a group of you guys, and I, I'm not going to re, uh, say who they all are, but they're all the brain trust of, of bowling, you know, with Pinnell and, and Carmen's, you know, Salvino and uh, and Bill Vinetta, you know, Dick Ritker. You know, there's a handful of you guys that have all the brains, and I'll tell you, Pards, you're not a kind of a person to go out and, and blow your own horn, but I'm going to do it as much as I can, like I've done ever since I met you. Well, that's, I, I've never had that desire. To, uh, the the ego side of me is not blowing my own horn. I can tell you that. It's not dumb. I know that. <laughs> so what else? You got any good stories about Bill? I, I know he was a clean-cut family man, but uh, it doesn't have to be a, a nasty story, just any kind of a story. Well, yeah, I mean, I just, yeah, I don't know his personal life that well, but, you know, he and his wife were apparently a great team together. She would travel with him and do the rest. She kept all the scores. She kept all the records for him. I, mean, I just sense for their marriage, you know, she just, um, they were just a great team. I can tell you that. So that's an indication of the character of the man and of, him, of himself as well. Yeah, I, I've told this one story before, but I, I love to tell it again. When he'd come in on a practice session day on that Friday before the tournament would start, they'd go out and get a practice pair. Then at the end of the day, she'd always bring up the sheets. And she had all kinds of sheets, the telescore sheets, everything. And she'd say, well, he got three more today. And they said, three more what? She says, 300 games. I said, oh, really? She says, yeah, he's got over 300, 300 games now. And I says, really? So later I talked to Bill. I says, Bill, I heard you had Another three, couple three hundreds today. He goes, yeah, but she's a character. He says, if I get eight in a row, then I start the next game with, you know, four. She counts that as a three hundred game. So, it's kind of, <laughs> uh, like a very proper three hundred. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She admitted that, but she had a whole stack of score sheets where she would keep every one, whether he bowled it in practice or what have you. She but was yes. a beauty. She sat behind him every game, and I'll tell you, they were a wonderful couple. That was, but they, again, he had over 300, 300, very popular 300s, but he had 
he legitimately had over 150 300s in some kind of competition, whether they were sanctioned, whether they were sanctioned, or whether they were action. And like I said, he was a great, uh, great action player as well. So that's you know that's that's she was she was there. I mean it was it was an amazing thing the record she kept from the beginning of their relationship. She had it all, and yeah. um, even as even go back to when he was bowling in Cincinnati, um, she she just kept all the records. And that's um, and uh, somewhere maybe um, maybe Danny Danny Ayers who was his personal friend, a real good friend of his, and his biographer. Maybe I hope he finishes his book. He can include all these records in his book. Yeah, he um, remembered but, his name. I couldn't remember it, but that was him. I, I had to line everything with him when I did the shows about Bill. Just a wonderful guy. And Danny, he was like, he took care of Bill a lot toward the end of his life, too. Yes, he did, and um, like I said, I, Danny. I hope Danny can finish his work. I, I don't. I've lost contact with him. Uh, I hope he, if he listens to this, I hope he can get a hold of me because um, he was he was doing the he was doing a biography of Bill, and I hope he can complete the project. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna post something on Facebook uh, next week when the show comes on, and uh, maybe they'll bring him up out of the woods wherever he's hiding at Danny right now because he loved Bill, and he's I know he's got all of his records, and that'd be great if he could finish that book. I know he, he was working on it, but doing a book is pretty slow motion kind of work, right? As you know. <laughs> as you know. As you yeah. know. So, uh, the greatest only thing is with Danny, it's, Danny had set up a – Danny was going to bring Bill to Bo Expo the year he died, and we were set up to meet each other because that would have been uh, a great thrill for me. But uh, unfortunately, he died before he could get to Bo Expo, and um, I never got to meet the man. Yeah, and it's the greatest. Yeah. It is the greatest disappointment I have in bowling. Well, wow, that's nice of you to say. You know, I'm going to ask you this because I never did ask him, but I'm sure you probably know. You know, he would bowl all day on those practice session days from nine in the morning till one. Then he'd bowl the practice session that he was allowed to. For another hour, then he bolts about five or six o'clock that night, and I went to ask says, Bill, how's your thumb? He goes, What are you talking about? I says, I don't know how many games you bowled, but let me see your thumb. There wasn't a mark on it. I don't know if you knew anything about his drilling and all that, or if he even drilled them for himself. I'm sure he did, but I never saw a cleaner thumb in my life. Did you know anything about that with him? I, I all I know, yes, all I know, all I know is. The old timers said how good of a pro shop technician he was, and how they developed um, their grip from Benetta making the contribution to their uh, to their bowling through their grips. His their grips. Uh, you're absolutely right. He was a world class pro shop person who understand who understand the hand, and there are very few people like it. One of the things I would the one of the things that maybe you know something about. I never heard. Of Bill Bonetta crossing with Bill Taylor in any way. Bill liked to be confrontational a lot of times. I know he did it with Tom Corus, but I know Corus had a very high opinion of Bonetta. But I never got to know if Bill Taylor, what Bill Taylor's opinion was of Bonetta. Do you know? Do you have any insight on that? I really don't, but I do know this about Bill Bonetta. He didn't have a crossword about anybody. I'm sure he avoided 
any kind of a confrontation because he wasn't into that. He was into growing the game, not making enemies because there was a couple of guys on a regional program that he told me, I don't want to cross with this guy because this guy makes me upset. And I don't want to get upset. I want to go down and have fun when I bowl. So only on two occasions, they refused to bowl with somebody. And that's because he didn't want to have a confrontation. So he was a lover of the game and not a fighter. He, he told me one time, there's enough controversy on the concourse. He says, we don't want to have it out here on the lanes. So. Yeah, that's one of, I guess that's one of the reasons. You know, he turned down, I don't know if you know this or not, but he was supposedly, he wanted, Eddie Elias wanted him to be the first PBA commissioner. I and, heard that. Yeah, somewhere I heard that. And he turned it down because he wanted to bowl and he wanted to teach. And he said, I can't bowl and I can't teach if I, if I got this political position. So he turned that down because I guess he didn't want to be in any way uh, a controversial person within the state of bowling at the time. Yeah. Well, that was probably a smart move on his part. That's, that's right. Uh, I want to I give you the last think, word. I think um, the only thing I want to say, Lenny, Leslie, a couple of weeks ago when we did the Taylor interview, I did not mention how Bill Taylor developed a 63-degree angle for the hand fitting in the ball. It's one of the things I did want to mention, um, how Bill did a lot of the grunt work that we use now, and his charts that he used for hand fitting were absolutely sterling. I still use them. Uh, I pity the pro shops who do not know uh, the work he did. Uh, some of the stuff was modified by Mo and Kelly Bednar based on their flexibility of the thumb, but um, Taylor did the grunt work for us that uh, plug and drill, plug and drill, plug and drill, and came up with a foundation for rock solid uh, fitting of the hand for a bowling ball. And I didn't mention that, and now I just, this is the time for me to mention that, that the 63 degrees is a goal. I learned that, I guess I learned about the time that Bill and uh, Mo had the great debate in the early 90s that two other people independently of each other did computer analysis, and they came up with 61.7. And uh, <laughs> Bill was right on at 63 without any kind of computer help at all. So <laughs> That's about, a, I don't know, not even a lead line. If you draw a lead, piece of lead on a, on a piece of paper, right, that's not very big, 0.7 and 63, yeah, right? That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> all right, Fards. Well, if anybody wants to get a hold of you uh, to ask you any questions, are, are you available? Uh, sure. Okay. Um, Why don't you give them your email address? Uh, G Parsons, G2 at Hotmail. All right. Well, you got his email address. You got any questions? Uh, Gary Parsons, he'll spend time with you. And you can call him at 2 in the morning. He's still in there working. I know that for a fact. So, yeah, that is true. That <laughs> so, is true. So, Phantom fans, that about wraps up the show for this week. And I can't believe how quickly the time flies on this show. It's probably why they call it the fastest show in all of sports. But, Gary, I really enjoy you being on. And I love talking to you. You've definitely earned that name of the guru. And I appreciate you being on with us. And so, for Phantom Radio... This is a phantom. When you're down and troubled and you need some loving care and nothing, well, nothing is going right. Close your eyes and think of me.
soon I 